0: You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to another week of the Weed Smart Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about the benefits of paired rows and also some of the setbacks as well, I suppose. And we're also going to be talking to a previous Nuffield Scholar recipient who is based in Yorkshire. He is a farmer and an agronomist, and he's going to be talking to us about his farming operation in the UK. So a bit of a mixed bag this week. But first of all, how are you, Peter Newman, my co-host?
1: I am super well, Jess. And, and how are you?
0: Yeah, really good. It's been uh, great to finally have... Uh, a winter where it actually feels like winter right at the start of winter over on the west coast we've been getting a lot of rain in a lot of parts of the states state which is both good for the farmers and anyone who wants their garden to look good in the metro area as well pete how's the farmers been receiving the rain in your
1: patch yeah, just where I am, Jess, it's excellent. It was a little on the late side, a very dry summer, and then it's once it's come, we've had a, a rain every week for a few weeks now. So, yeah, really beautiful, and the crops are bursting out of the ground with the warm soil. So. looking really nice.
0: Yeah unfortunately not the same story for all the growers in the northern region some of those growers have not had any rain at all and it's been very dry so yeah it's not good news uh, for those growers hopefully it turns around though but yeah been very wet in WA for many parts. And how have you been going outside of work Pete? Any news to report?
1: Uh, Well this lovely weather means that it's nice mountain biking time so we've got one mountain bike track in Geraldton which I Hit a little bit in winter, and I'm not very good at it. I've got to be honest. And yesterday, <laughs> I I uh, went off a cliff, Jess. I oh, um no. I had a major. I was going up a hill, and it was right alongside a cliff. And I just got to the very top of it, and I overbalanced, and I just sprung like a frog off this cliff. Oh, my gosh. And it was about a probably an eight foot drop, and I just landed on my hands and knees oh, in soft dirt. Oh. Uh, surrounded by rocks so I just was laying there thinking oh my goodness I've had a major there and I haven't hurt myself it was a miracle so uh,
2: yeah
1: what about you any any silly injuries on your Jess.
0: Well, I actually have done some mountain biking in in the hills in Perth before, and luckily, I have not had any injuries. I haven't fallen off. I've only done it a couple of times, but if you've come off, that makes me a bit that makes me concerned. Uh, you, when you do go down some of those deep drops in the mountain biking trails, like you just you just can see how it could go so wrong. But it yeah, is if a lot of fun. you're not falling
1: off a little bit. You're not going hard enough.
0: Yeah, I well, I've only been a couple of times, so maybe, yeah, maybe I'll leave it at that so I don't completely smash my body to uh, to little pieces because it can, I've got some friends who do it regularly and they've definitely had their fair share of serious injuries. Yeah. No, I did have a stupid injury over the weekend, I just dropped one of those BOSU balls on my knee, so I wasn't even doing an exercise, I was just setting up for an exercise and then Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a very nasty bruise just above at my kneecap. Gym. Yeah, just at the gym. Not even doing an exercise. Super cool. Oh. Yeah, really so cool. Are you
1: limping around?
0: Oh no, I'm powering through, Pete, no one would know. I've got a long <laughs> dress on.
1: Of course. Excellent. <laughs>
0: Well, let's get into these interviews. We're going to kick off with a farmer from the Mallee region. He's a grain grower, Peter Aikman. And if you'd like to follow him on Twitter, his handle is at P underscore Aikman, A-I-K-M-A-N. Now, he has a root boot and he's got paired rows. Pete, what are the benefits of having a paired road system?
1: Well, I guess in terms of what we're talking about, Jess, it's just that extra crop competition. So what growers can typically have is a 12-inch row spacing, 30-centimetre row spacing, and on each tine, a little paired boot, which might split the seed three or four inches. So it gives them, uh, it effectively reduces their row spacing without having to add tines to the bar. So uh, just I guess it is the cheapest way to effectively reduce your row spacing. Uh, in, we haven't got lots of data looking at what that means for crop competition but I guess everybody instinctively knows that if you can reduce the row spacing the crop can cover the inter-row sooner and reduce that sunlight that can get to the weeds it, you know, we're on the right track to increase crop competition
0: Definitely and Pete, obviously the root boot is not the only option when it comes to pair rows what are some of the other options people can look to if they're interested in this system?
2: Yeah, a lot of Cedars, a lot
1: of the companies have their own system now. And If anyone's seen me doing a, a video, an RE video in front of my uh, bookshelf, you'll see a stiletto boot on the bookshelf, which is one of the Western Australian designs, uh, which is another version of it. But yeah, there's a range of, of, of different ones out there. It's not just all about the root boot. But yeah, it's just interesting that we went from everybody single shooting maybe 10 years ago to, uh, I'd say it's almost... Not the majority of farmers that are doing paired row sowing, but it's a high percentage. It was really quite a rapid adoption in a short space of time across a range of machines.
0: And why do you think that there was such a, a rapid adoption?
1: I think people really wanted to effectively reduce their row spacing without adding more tines to the bar, and it just made sense. But also, there's other parts of it which is in you know, a crop establishment. Um, you can get improved crop establishment if when you've got a paired row sowing you're effectively spreading each seed out further from the one next to it, so um, because you're putting the same amount of seed down two rows instead of one there's just each seed has a little bit of more bit more room and really ideally, wheat seed for example, wants to be roughly an inch apart or more, otherwise any closer and it starts to impede the germination of the other wheat plants so wheat seeds i should say so there's a lot of there's a lot of different reasons crop competition is just one of them
0: yeah certainly all right well let's take a listen to the interview with peter aikman and get a bit of an idea of what his farming system is all about and his experience we're chatting with Peter Aikman on the Weed Smart podcast today. You can actually follow him on Twitter. His handle is at P underscore A-I-K-M-A-N if you'd like to follow him. And he's a Mallee grain grower and we're going to talk to him about his farming operation and how he uses paired rows today. But first of all, how are you going, Peter?
2: Yeah, good. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for the call.
0: Yeah, really appreciate you taking the time out to have a chat with us. It's always good to hear about what farmers are doing on the ground. So firstly, can you just tell us a little bit about your farming operation?
2: Yeah, no problems. We, uh, we're currently farming at Anuelo, which is in northwest Victoria, predominantly sandy soil tops, sandy loams. Yeah, rotation generally are 100% cropping, but it's made up of around about a third wheat, third barley and a and a third legume, some lupins on sand and lentils, vetch, uh, veg for hay and brown manure for the third legume.
0: Yeah, right. And how has the season gone for you so far? Have you had a good start to the season or has it been below average?
2: Uh, well, it probably started at the end of last year. We had quite a bit of harvest rain, um, which was annoying at the time, but it's such a dry first six months of the year, we're actually thankful we have got yeah. some subsoil moisture. Up until the start of June I think most of the farm had only had about thirty mil of rain. Yeah, so right. definitely um, in the bottom ten of hundred years. Feeding started as on a calendar date and finished around the fifteenth of May. Most of the yeah, we did have some rain through May and then another ten mils last week, so most of the crops now will germinate, but certainly a very dry start to the year.
0: Yeah, it's been tough for lots of growers. Now, we are going to focus on the fact that you're using paired rows. So, you're currently using the root boot, which allows you to have paired rows. What, se- what seeding system were you using prior to this?
2: Uh, well, we changed in... Uh, well, it was actually because of our uh, farming area increase. We doubled in size in 2014... Prior to that, we had uh, uh, well, we still have a water bag for a scary bar. and It was on uh, 300 mil spacing with single, just a single shoot 50 mil Agmaster uh, boot and Agmaster press wheels, 75 mil press wheels at the back. So the main decision to change the root boot was I was looking at a way to be able to show, uh more more area uh, more efficiently. Um, and not having to change over a cedar. So we decided to push out to 350 mil row spacing uh, with a root boot 100 mil splitter paired row, um, which actually meant we didn't really change the inter-row distance much. I was a bit worried about getting the inter-row uh, any wider up on our big sand hills for weed competition.
3: Yeah.
2: But to go to, uh, to, to 350 mil with a 100 mil split, the inter-row was about the same and really had some you know, big efficiency gains. Went from about twelve hectares an hour to sixteen, and uh, that actually meant about seven days less sowing. So we could uh, make it a bit easier to hit the fifteenth uh, of May where we want to be finished sowing.
0: Yeah, excellent. That is that is a huge gain. And what prompted you to actually choose the root boot out of um, all the options out there?
2: Uh, well, there's never a perfect one. Well, uh, yes, yeah, there's never a perfect. Uh, I couldn't find a perfect setup, and the root boot certainly <laughs> ticked the most boxes without going to uh, uh, upgrade the whole feeder to a parallelogram or something like that. So for to continue with our old <laughs> scurry bar, I thought the root boot offered the best advantages. It, As I said, give us a 100 mil split. Yeah. It did still move a bit of dirt, which in our scenario is pretty good because we have self-propelled spray ruts on hills and sometimes some little bare areas after legumes. Um, and the root boot moving a little bit of dirt does allow the seed to go into the ground most of the time not not rowing out and sitting on top and um, allowing bare patches and weeds to grow so yeah there was certainly some I saw some advantages with the root boot uh, and we, we went that way
0: yeah so let's talk a little bit more about some of the benefits from having the paired rows could you just give us an overview of some of the changes that you've noticed that have been really positive for you
2: yeah well, it's certainly the paired row aspect, we're getting more plant numbers and tillers on our sandier country, I think. We do have some deep sand. Uh, we have to be mindful with our setting system that the, the bar doesn't ride in too deep and we sow it too deep, but yeah. Yeah, our soil does wet up pretty well, so we haven't had any non-wetting issues with it, putting it um, on the side of the press wheel furrow, like I think in some areas some people are a bit concerned sowing dry with a paired row, putting that seed out in the dry shoulder, but we haven't had that effect. We've actually seen it as a positive in marginal moisture, pushing that seed on undisturbed soil on the side of the row and potentially getting some benefits from capillary rise and getting some good germination on in marginal conditions. Really, it, it does give you a good robust row on, on our sand, which helps out enormously going in the legging year after a cereal. We can, um, can lack a bit of cover up there on the sand at times.
0: Yeah, right.
2: Yeah, disadvantages... Like everything, pretty pretty marginal. I think there's a lot more positives and negatives in our system. I uh, do have to be careful, as I mentioned, not to go too deep, uh, particularly when the uh, when the bar sinks in a bit on sand. Yeah, uh, yeah, but definitely more positives and negatives in our setup.
0: Yeah, excellent. And have you experienced uh, more weed control using this system compared to the one you were using before?
2: Probably, with well, a couple of things changed, we tried to. Change most paddocks just the way it worked logistically and uh and a few other factors to east west sowing to yeah. allow less less uh, see a uh, less sunlight i suppose in inter row during the growing season that combined with the paired row, i think is giving us some advantages' it's less yeah there's less germination throughout the season now particularly our biggest weed is brome grass yeah uh, and look, that continues, there's not one thing that's going to help me. brome is, it's a number of factors. Uh, rotation probably plays the biggest part. And, yeah, certainly taking paddocks out before their blowout scenarios has certainly helped us the biggest way, I think, keeping low numbers low. And when we do notice small populations, take the paddock out for a two to three, sometimes four year break if it's, if it's a if the real blowout. Uh, so it's just, a, it's another, another tool in the shed, I, I, that is helping with a number of other aspects to control weeds.
0: Yeah, definitely. The more diversity you've got, the better chance you have at beating those weeds. So, yeah, really good to hear. Were there any other factors that you think would be worthwhile for other growers and agros out there to hear about your farming system that you'd like to share,
2: Peter? No, well, I think we've uh, we've covered a bit, and yeah, just hoping for uh, for the season to open up now and to continue. And definitely, uh, moisture helps uh, over a lot of problems, but. As I said, I think our biggest factor with controlling weeds and getting on top of weeds is good monitoring, uh, yeah. and certainly not allowing those blowouts. Uh, the seeding system aspect of it is a small part part of it. Uh, yeah, I get it. as well as uh, rotation, strategic use of chemicals, windrow burning, a uh, number of number of different things. Haven't tried chaff lining yet, but certainly considering it.
0: Certainly, the hot yeah. topic at the moment. But yeah, let us know if you do. If you do decide, we'd love to hear um, your experience if you go down that pathway as well. All right, Peter. Well, thank you so much for giving us some insights into your farming operation. We really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Thanks. Thank
0: you very much to Peter Aikman for spending some time chatting with us about his farming system in the Mallee region. And Peter Aikman has got an economic approach to his crop competition, but there are other methods which people can use. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Pete?
1: Yeah, Jess, I always reel them off and see if I can get them all off the top of my head now. The four sort of main aspects of increasing crop competition is seeding rate, row spacing, crop orientation, so that's north, south, east or east-west. And there's cultivar, so, you know, the competitiveness of the variety. I suppose you could also add to that maybe soil health. Mm. So healthy soil improves uh, crop vigour, improving crop competition. And what I like about what Peter has done is he has really chosen the most cost-effective way to do it because he's gone east-west sowing, which is essentially free, and uh, he has chosen the root boot in this case to go paired row sowing, which was a cost. To, you know refit the bar with uh, paired row sewing but a pretty small cost in the scheme of things to effectively reduce the row spacing and still have good double handling and herbicide safety and all those important things as well so really simple economic way of increasing crop
0: competition yeah definitely very cool indeed and yeah good reminder that it doesn't always cost a lot to uh, have a better farming system. It's just just a matter of researching what suits your farm and, and going going forward and doing it, really.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean we can always come up with expenses or options. Think it's a bit like uh, when you go wine tasting, Jess, it's really easy to buy a, a nice tasting bottle of really expensive wine, but <laughs> the skill is finding that cheap bottle that's really nice. And uh, farming is a little bit the same. In the skill is finding the the cheap systems that work really well.
0: Yes, definitely. Well, in our next interview, we're going to switch gears a bit because we're going to be speaking with an international guest in Richard Hinchliffe. He's a Nuffield Scholar recipient and he's a farmer who is based in Yorkshire in the UK. I love saying the word Yorkshire, by the way, Pete. Yeah, does it remind you of pudding? <laughs> it does. <laughs> and I never get Yorkshire pudding. I, I used to ask mum to make it all the time. I had it once at an ex-boyfriend's family dinner and I said, mum, Yorkshire pudding is the best. Can you please make it? And she still has and that's no. been—it's been well over a decade, Pete. It's just. I well, could easily make it, it myself. Give
1: you the impetus to go and uh, get mum to make it now. I don't but think so. I you thought... are a big girl, though, Jess. Yeah. Maybe you need to just Google the recipe. I probably
0: should just do it myself. Mm. Um, <laughs> but Richard, he has had a, quite a big win with black grass control. Now, black grass is uh, quite a problematic weed for people over in the UK, and he's going to talk to us about his approach to controlling this weed. And he actually has visited Ari before, so we've met him. And yeah. Very very insightful guy, very open to sharing uh, his experiences and knowledge, and he's very active on Twitter, so you can also follow Richard on Twitter Twitter if you like. Um, What did you take away from Richard's uh, story, Pete?
1: Yeah, I met Richard when he came out and spent some time at RE, and, and he came up to my part of the world as well, and had long chats with him, and they called, black grass a driver weed you know that is the one that is dictating rotations to them over there and it made me realise if we think we've got problems uh, we got nothing black grass is a nightmare mm-hmm. it's resistant to everything pretty much uh, this in cereal crops they've almost got no herbicide they can use at all and also at the same time politically they are losing herbicides so they've got a whole heap of herbicides that have been deregistered that they're no longer allowed to use so they've got a reduced suite of herbicides and this and this weed that's resistant to everything else. And so when they go into a cereal crop, they have to go in with pretty much a zero seed bank if they'd have any chance of growing a successful crop.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, well, let's take a listen to Richard's story and he's going to give us a play-by-play on how he didn't beat this weed, but he's got himself in a good position where he's controlling it to quite a good degree. Let's take a listen I'm chatting with Nuffield Scholar recipient and Yorkshire-based farmer and agronomist Richard Hinchliff. How are you going, Richard?
3: Great, thanks. It's actually raining, which is uh, a rarity uh, this spring so far. We went from a very, very wet spring early doors and we were delayed drilling spring crops by a month, six weeks, to, uh, to a spot of uh, welcome rain this morning when I woke up, which is quite nice. It's uh, still just six o'clock here in the morning for UK, so... A few hours behind you
0: guys in Perth. Just a few. Now we've actually uh, met you before. You did come over and visit Ari not too long ago, actually. So you've got a good idea of how our farming systems compare to yours. So, just for the listeners, I'd like you to just give an overview of, firstly, where your farm is based and what your farming operation is like. Yeah, we're a,
3: we're a family farm. I farm with my, dad and my uncle. We're a family farm. I farm with my dad and my uncle in Yorkshire, um, Doncaster's the local town in the in UK. Uh, we're a very small farm by Australian scale. Uh, we're only 560 hectares, which is, is tiny by the farms I've visited. Well, I didn't visit a farm that small in, in Australia, but that's, that's what I would call probably an average size family farming for the UK. We, we grow uh, seven different crops for this harvest. Uh, we're growing winter and spring wheat, although I've just sprayed the spring wheat off with glyphosate for black grass reasons. Uh, it was drilled too late. It wasn't going to produce a profitable crop, so uh, I sprayed that off. Uh, we yeah. grow winter and spring faba beans. Uh, we, we grow olive seed rate, which you guys call canola. Uh, we grow linseed. Um, so we, we have quite a, a varied um, cropping system. Um Back in 2012, we started to adopt the no-till uh, farming system with a John Deere disc drill. Uh, we haven't actually mobile ploughed now in 20 years, which is very unusual for UK. Wow. Uh, our our average wheat yields, uh, which would be fairly interesting to you guys down there, will be about 10.7 tons a hectare. Uh, our faba bean average yields. Uh, would be about seven and a half tons of hectare and our canola average yields will be about four and a half tons a hectare uh, so yeah. that's our, um, our scale uh, our smaller scale actually stacks up because we can we're quite productive
0: all right, well, thank you for that overview. Now, we are going to be talking about your weed control and how you've managed it. And flatgrass, grass, as you've mentioned already, it has been a significant problem weed for you, but you have had some wins in controlling it, which we'll get into shortly. Can you firstly describe for listeners what impact blackgrass grass has had on your farming operations?
3: The uh, farm where I live now, uh, where I live with my family, is, is based on some magnesium clay soil. Uh, historically it, it's, it's, uh, it's a cold wet uh, soil um, that has suffered well it's only been in cropping now for 30 to 40 years before that it was a lot of it was still uh, pasture because it, it wasn't seen as being particularly good for cropping but because it's uh, so nice and, and, and strong textured it does when it does crop well it crops really good wheat crop but at the same time, once it started cropping, it started producing very nice black grass crops as well. So when we took this farm up um, in the year 2000, we actually hired a separate combine to, far- uh, to harvest this farm because it was that um, dirty uh, that we didn't want to bring our own combine in it. There was areas of wheat where it was spot for wheat plant for black grass. You could have made a black grass hay crop. And... It was, it was it was a disaster, uh, but we bought it with our eyes open, and we knew that there was probably some resistance issues here. Uh, and, but for price of land back then was quite attractive, and we we fancied a, a bit of a go on uh, on heavy land. I was coming home from college, so it seemed a good opportunity to uh, crack on and and see see what we can how we actually can found some challenging land.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. So, how have you gone about managing this weed and controlling it, essentially? Um,
3: like all farmers do to start with, uh, we were very lucky. Uh, I guess as as the turn of the uh, new century, uh, there was a lot of new chemistry coming along in the UK. We we're quite lucky. Um. We'd hit the wall already with FOPs and DIMs, the ACCA herbicides, um, because it was intensively canola cropped here, one in three. Uh, so they'd seen a lot of ACCA's, the Clefardim type herbicides, but we didn't have Cleffardim back then. It was proper fizzy popping for type. Uh, it's high dim. They'd all hit a wall. Um, so we started stretching out for canola in for rotation because that was an issue crop. Uh, Pre-M herbicides were only just starting to come in for UK back then. Uh, which was had uh, never been seen before, so that was a stepping stone. Uh, we also had the uh, development very soon on of ALS contact herbicides uh, in our wheat crops, uh, and that gave us... We had a period of 10 to 15 years where the technological advances actually uh, kept us in a nice place. We never eradicated the black grass, but we could always keep it at manageable levels. And I would say about five years ago, uh we hit a wall where our contact herbicides were uh what we would call three hour resistance and pretty much totally stopped working. So we we we, we went to uh, we we had we had a sudden realization that if we weren't gonna do something, uh, we we're gonna go uh, we we're gonna go and hit the wall hard on this farm. So we had to, you know, go back to good old cultural contact uh, techniques. So uh, we changed our cropping, uh, to, uh, become less intensive for more, introducing spring cropping again. Uh, we absolutely start drilling later so our residuals would work better because it was even cooler than normal. It was damper. We went for massive seed rates. Our seed rates that we seed on this farm for wheat will be about 550 plus seeds a meter squared, which is about, mm-hmm. um, nearly 300 kilos a hectare of seed on this farm. Right. Uh, so that's a bit different to back back home for you guys. Uh, we went to a no-till system, which is it's uh, strange because if you do it really well, you can have a really really good win with black grass. But if you do it really badly in this country, you can be um, you can be devastated by it. One of the main right. things that we're doing was we started um, spraying crop out with glyphosate early when for wheat was flowering so not crop topping as you guys would crop top early we would spray it out to kill for wheat and to kill for black grass but we don't have the only uh, uh, total herbicide we've got is glyphosate so uh, we don't have paraquat so we can't double knock so glyphosate resistance is always something that's the back of our mind from your guys experience with ryegrass. grass the final area on for Kate now is that we're, we're gone back to the well we've rolled all of our farms forever, uh, but this farm we've gone back to even rode in blackgrass now and uh, all of the wheat, we, it was a small, we only had 40 hectares of wheat on this farm this year and we pulled less than 20 blackgrass. Uh, I would say in the entirety of our um program because we rode all of the wheat and everything that we can walk through, I would say our rolling program will be twice as quick this year because we've had a really good blackgrass year and I would say, on average, in good fields, we're pulling less than one or two black rats for every 10 hectares. In the worst blackgrass fields, we'll be pulling three to four handfuls apiece. Not even that, probably three to four handfuls per 10 hectares um, with three of us. So... Uh, it's a real good, good win. And once you get to that way, we've got to take where Hopefully, we're, uh, we're controlling the seed bank and, and reducing numbers because black grass will only survive five to seven years possibly. And because we've yeah. Not, yeah. Uh, we're not cultivating now. We're hoping to keep that seed bank that we had before down below. So well, it's, a, it's a slow win, mm-hmm. but every year, last year, was, we've had three wins. This is our third win now. But hopefully, we're getting to a, a, a one big win.
0: Excellent. Yeah, hopefully you are. And are farmers nearby to you taking notice of your success with your approach?
3: It's interesting because black grass has been the main talking point in arable cropping farming for UK for 10 years now, I would say. It's, you get fed up of reading it in magazines. It's that boring for me now in the sense that you, it's all the same stuff. And there's, I would say camps fall into two camps in the UK. There's a small majority, if that doesn't sound too weird, that have really got the message and they've got the IPM message and the cultural message and all the real good messages, and they're adopting it. And there's a load of of folks that still sticking their hands, their heads in for sorry, and thinking that something's going to come along and save them, and nothing in a can's going to say it's got well beyond that point now, and you talk to them and they are getting big because we have like a blackgrass. we don't have anything as organized as our in the UK, unfortunately. Uh, but there's bits of blackgrass messages coming out there from various folks. And there's a general sort of blackgrass message, you know, delayed drilling, rotation, everything about diverse, and all these diverse messages. And they're getting half of a message, but some of these guys seem to be picking up for wrong half or doing half of the thing very wrong. It's a bit like uh, spring barley, uh, is uh, become very popular over the last three to four years because it's a spring crop, and it's very competitive. And you've got a very uh, long week and sow spring barley from almost November through to we drilled hours on the first of May, and I finished contracting to someone on the fifteenth of May this year. So you've almost got a five and a half month sowing, six month sowing window almost, mm. and. Uh, the idea is to go in and to cultivate and prepare the seedbed in in the autumn, or not to cultivate at all, depending on what your preference is, and then go a low disturbance in for spring. But uh, at one of the neighbours, he'd gone in, he'd dried everything up in for spring, drilled it. And we still have para He was harrowing it to create a seedbed because it was that wet and awful. And now there's as much black grass in there as there is barley, because he, he worked all that black grass up by cultivating exposing and exposing it to lighter moisture. And instead of going to my field next door, where I just slitted in with a low disturbance uh, distil, is fairly clean from black grass just because culturally it was a better thing to do. So there's there's a lot of people getting half messages, Matt. So it, it, it's a real mixed bag. it's not probably I was was surprise. When I went to Australia in October 16, I was I was hoping. Well, this sounds really quite secretly. I was hoping to see a situation as bad in Australia as in <laughs> the UK. Because I've listened, I've seen stuff from my, and about you know Australia's king uh, of the world, and I was hoping for a real disaster. Uh, just right. farmers for to see how. But you guys have had, dealt with it as an industry a lot better than I would say what the UK is. Um, but I think farmers. Uh, are maybe a bit more willing to survive and, you know, adopt with the changes and realise a bit sooner because it's it's possibly, but it is a lot harsher farming conditions down under, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: well, thank you so much, Richard. Really interesting insights. It's always great to be able to catch up with someone from the other side of the world and see what your approach to controlling weeds is and what success you're having with those approaches you're using so we really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us
3: Thank you, thank you, I I would say of all my visits I really enjoyed Australia so much because apart from for climate, you know, for farming systems, the crops grown uh, is just so similar to what I'm used to back home, it's just for scale uh, coming from a little 560 hectare farm it's just mind-blowing when you go to wa and you know you can drive for hours and hours and hours along for wheat belt you could fit the uk god knows how many times into a wheat belt it's amazing <laughs> uh, and, and, and the thing that always amazes me is the fact that the australian wheat belt on average in a good year produced produce two million more tons of wheat than the uk does so it's just it's mind-blowing and you guys have got to export it as well which is isn't, isn't so good for us as well So I watch for what's happening with Australia with a great deal of interest.
0: Yes, certainly. Well, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Richard. No worries. Thank you very much to Richard Hinchliffe there for giving us some great insights on how he is controlling black grass on his farm in the UK, in Yorkshire, Pete. And he's had a really successful outcome, really, of pretty much almost beating the weed entirely he's only having to pull out a few weeds uh, from his paddock so what what, what do you think Pete, do you reckon reckon he's done a pretty good job?
1: Pretty amazing effort isn't it and just the fact they walk their paddocks and hand rogue any surviving weeds, I mean and grass weeds, we've done a bit of that with wild radish in Australia but crikey hand roguing grass weeds that's Mm. uh, that's another level isn't it and like you said this was a, a farm that once upon a time they could have bailed a black grass uh, hay from it, so yeah. Yeah, amazing effort and just goes to show Jess it's
2: all about seed bank
0: It is, definitely Yes, it's very good messages to get across. Um, So thank you both to Peter Ackerman and Richard Hinchley for making our podcast happen this week. Really appreciate them taking the time out. And Richard was up early, I think, to talk to me. It was before 6am when he was getting on the internet to uh, hook up that chat with me. I don't even think he'd had breakfast yet. So yeah, we really appreciate all the guests we have on the show uh, who contribute and make the podcast so great. Uh, We do have a few plugs that we want to get out, Pete. Uh, We, of course, have Weed Smart Week coming up in August starting on the, on the 20th in Narrabri so the tickets are now available on the website and yesterday we had the webinar with Ben Wyatt which went really well Pete and the recording will be up and it's really worth taking a listen to that if you missed the webinar isn't it Pete?
1: Yeah we've had two really good webinars lately one with um, Ed Riggle about grazing chaff dumps uh, and and then with Ben talking about the HSD versus the seed terminator. So Ben travelled around at harvest time uh, doing a research report on looking at those seed destroying machines, and has got some really good insights on on both of them and and a lot of the practicalities of operating them. So yeah, really worth a listen.
0: Yep, they'll be both. Uh, they're both going to be up on the WeedSmart website, just under the webinars section, so you can find them quite easily on there, and yeah, definitely buy your tickets to Eat Smart Week as well, we'd love to see you there. Alright Pete, well that's just about it for this week, thanks so much.
2: Thanks Jess.